And it's lovely to be here again with yourselves. I just, uh, if you have a Bible, please uh, turn to the book of Luke and chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And we're going to start reading at verse 1. Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. There we read, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And if we turn to uh, verse 11, Jesus continued in answering these men. He said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his living, his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up. And went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his seat. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Quite often that's where we stop reading this story. But it goes on, so we're going to go on. Verse 25, Meanwhile the older son was in the field. When he came near the house he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he is back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And we trust that God will a blessing to the reading of his word. I'm sure you know if you um, have been raised in Sunday school or been coming along to the church for a, for a long time, then you probably know these three stories that are in Luke chapter 15. We've just read the third of them, the prodigal son, but it also tells a story in Luke 15 about the lost sheep and the lost coin. And then in the third story that Jesus tells, he talks about the prodigal son. I know it wasn't until long ago that I realised that I have got absolutely no idea what the word prodigal actually means. 
I always assumed, because we had the lost coin, the lost sheep, and sometimes we talk about the lost son, I always assumed that the word prodigal meant lost. And that's what we mean when we talk about the prodigal son. We talk about the lost son. But actually, that's not what the word means at all. It's not talking about someone who's lost, but actually prodigal means to be recklessly extravagant. It's an adjective, it's a word that describes someone, someone who is recklessly extravagant, or someone who has spent everything. And that's why we call him the prodigal son, because he went out to a foreign land and he was recklessly extravagant. He gave everything away till he had nothing left. And that's why we talk about the prodigal son. And Luke chapter 15 starts in verse 1 and verse 2, as most chapters do. And there we read that the tax collectors and the sinners were gathered around listening to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And this is the setup, the the basis for the whole chapter. This statement that the Pharisees have said. As Jesus sits there, he has the tax collectors and the sinners on one side. He has the Pharisees and the teachers of the law on the other. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're not happy at the fact that Jesus is meeting with these sinners. With these tax collectors, the people who in their opinion are the the scum of the earth. Why is Jesus meeting with these people? Why is he eating with them? Why is he having this hospitality with these people? And Jesus goes on to tell these three stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, to address this problem that the Pharisees have. And in the story of the prodigal son, we have these two characters. The sinners are represented by the younger son who squanders everything, and the Pharisees are represented by the older son who remains behind. Now quite often when we tell the story of the prodigal son, we only talk about the younger son. When the young son, younger son comes home, when he's welcomed by the father, when he has the ring and the robe and the party, that's it. The story's over. But actually we need to address the older son as well. Because Jesus talked about a younger and an older son, so we need to talk about it in its entirety. And that's what we're going to do today. So we have the younger son and we have the oldest son. And the young son comes to his father and he says, Dad, I'm sick of living here. I want to go. The money that you're going to give me when you die, I want it now. We quite often talk about him taking away half of the father's wealth. In fact, it wouldn't be half. It would be at least a third. It would be a third or less. Because the older son gets a two portions of whatever there is in an inheritance. So the older son would get two thirds and the younger son would get a third. So he comes and he says, Dad, I want a third of what I would get when you die. Now, if my son was to come to me and said, Dad, I want a third of all of your money, that wouldn't be a huge, that wouldn't be a huge issue for me. If it, was a third, if it was a third of what was in my wallet or what was in the bank, you, you can have it, son. But that's not what happens here. This son comes and he says, I want a third of everything. The word that we have written as property in our English Bibles, the original word is actually the word bios, which means life. He says, I want a third of your life. This father would have to go and would have to sell some land. He'd have to go, he'd have to sell some buildings. He'd have to give him a third of the money that he, that, was, that he had. It wouldn't just be a case of him going and taking a third out of the safe, as we sometimes talk about him. It was a third of everything that this son would have got. 
You know, uh, 2,000 years ago in, in Israel, when these Pharisees were hearing this story, they would have heard about this man giving up a third of everything, and they would have said, no way. No way would anyone do that. Because this father's status in the community, it wouldn't have been based on what he did. It wouldn't have been based on how his sons were. It wouldn't particularly be based on how he was as a person, but it would be based on how much property he had. How much money he had. That would be his standing in the community. The people who owned the most were looked up to the most. And these Pharisees heard that this man was willing to give up a third of everything for his younger son. And they would have said, no way. No way would anyone do that. In fact, they might have got a little bit angry at the thought of this father giving away everything. But he does. He takes a third. He gives it to his son. And he says, on you go. I love you. This is what you want. You take it. Not long after the younger son has been given this, this amazing offering from his father, we read that he squanders it. He's prodigal. He's recklessly extravagant. Everything that he has is given away. And, he begins, and we read that he began to be in need. He starts to realise that he's got a problem. He's spent all of his money. That wasn't the only problem. A severe famine was in the land. Everyone was having a problem, but this younger son, well, he had a worse problem than everyone else. He had no money, and he was living in a country with famine. He began to be in need. He recognised that everything wasn't okay, that something had to change, that he couldn't get by as he was getting by. Something had to change. Someone had to help. So what does the son do? He doesn't go back to his father. He decides to sort the problem himself. So he goes and he hires himself out, himself out to a citizen of that country. He recognises his need and he goes his own way to try and address that need. He says, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to work my way out of this problem. So he goes and he finds himself someone who will employ him in a time of famine when there's very little around. And all that he can get is working with pigs. Now you may know that to a Jewish person, you're not allowed to eat a pig. You're not allowed to be anywhere near a pig. Pigs are filthy animals. This man has taken a job feeding pigs. He was the younger son of a wealthy, wealthy man. He had everything that he could possibly want. His father loved him. His father gave him anything that he wanted. And he's came away and now he's a farmer. But now he's a pig farmer. But actually, it's not just a case that he was farming pigs. He wasn't just a pig farmer. Because the Bible says... He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. The pigs were better off than he was. He longed to have what the pigs had. He was at rock bottom. There was nowhere else for him to turn. He was at absolute rock bottom. You know, amazing things happen when people are at rock bottom. Mm -hmm. The reason that communities are transformed by the gospel more in areas of high deprivation where people have very little than the wealthier areas is because more people are at rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And they realise that they can't, that in themselves, they can't be saved. They need other people to help them. This man was at rock bottom and that's when he started to see a little bit clearer. I was um, at a conference a few years ago and I was hearing the man speak. 
and he'd been a wealthy man, he'd, he'd worked in business all his life and when he retired, he lived in Sydney in Australia and when he retired he didn't know what he was going to do. And one day he was walking about Sydney and he looked up and he saw the Sydney cliffs. I don't know if anyone's ever been to Sydney, I haven't, but I've seen pictures of them and I know that roughly where the cliffs are. And the cliffs are beautiful when you see them in the pictures, but actually the, the cliffs are a huge issue. Because lots of people go to these Sydney cliffs to commit suicide. It's a hot spot for suicide. And lots of people will walk up to the cliffs and they'll, they'll end their lives up there. And as he was walking along, he thought, what can I do? And so he took a flask of tea and he went up to the top of these cliffs and there was a bench there and he sat there with a cup of tea with his flask. And he waited for a little while and eventually someone came and they walked up to the cliffs and they stood there and they were standing on the edge of the cliffs. And just as they were about to take their life, they heard the, they heard the words, Would you like a cup of tea? And the person turned around and sits on the bench and started to chat to this man and they both walked, walked down together. The next day he went back up and that's what he does. He goes to the top of this cliff, he sits on the bench with his flask and he offers tea to the people who are coming, coming up. Because when people are at rock bottom, it doesn't take that much. Just a cup of tea, just a friendly word can be all of the hope that they need. This man was at rock bottom and he started to look for hope. So he came up with a plan. He remembered the people that his father that worked for his father the people that lived on the farm and he remembered you know how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death I will set out and go back to my father and say to him father I have sinned against heaven and against you I am no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired servants he says make, make me like one of your hired servants here's the master plan father I have a great debt one third of, you, of everything that you have. This is the debt. Please just give me a little bit of pity. A little bit of mercy. So that I can get a job. And that I can start to work back that debt. Make me like one of your hired servants. He doesn't ask to be one of the servants. He doesn't ask to come back on the farm. He asks to be like one of the hired servants. And a hired servant is someone that the, the master will bring onto the property to do jobs. He's not asking for room and board and a job. He's asking for a little bit of mercy. Father, speak to one of your servants that they might give me a job that I can work off this debt. He knows. He thinks he won't be welcome back. So he says, just give me a job so that I can start to pay back this debt. In his mind, the only thing that's separating him from his father is this debt. This sum that's separating him from his father. So he goes and he tries to think, how can I do this? How can I solve this debt? I can work my way out. I can work my way out of this debt. Verse 20, we read that he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran to his son. I've never seen my dad run once. My dad's not a runner. Is your dad a runner? Can you remember your dad running? Dads, dads don't run very often. In fact, if I think about the last time that I ran towards someone, I can't tell you. No idea. But sometimes when you're in airports or at train stations, you sometimes see people who are long lost and they run towards each other because they, because they haven't seen them for such a long time. And there's that kind of compassion that's swelling up and they run towards each other. 
Typically, fathers don't run to their children. Children run to their fathers. That's the way that it looks normally. Not all the time, but normally. This father was so filled with compassion, so filled with love, that he ran to his son. Nothing was going to get in his way. He ran to him, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. This father is God. The younger son are those who have turned their back on God and went their own way. Sinners, that's you and that's me. We have went our own way. And we worry about this debt that's looming over our head. We worry about this sin. We worry about the things that make us not that makes us imperfect. And that those the weight of that sin rests on our shoulders, and we think, I can't come to God with this weight. What would He do if I came to Him like I am, an imperfect sinner? He'll run to you. He'll throw His arms around you. He'll kiss you, and He'll welcome you home. That is what he'll do. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against earth. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, You know, the the son didn't get his master plan out. He didn't get to tell the father his master plan. His master plan was, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. But he doesn't get that last sentence out. Because the father interrupts him. He doesn't let him tell him about his master plan to be the hired servant. The father says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. The son doesn't need his master plan. The debt is already paid. The father has already paid, the the, the debt has already been paid. God has already dealt with the debt that separates us from him. He's already dealt with our sin. He doesn't need our master plans. He doesn't need us to come and to try and work our way into his good favour. Jesus Christ has already done the work for us to come to him. We don't need to work work our way out of this debt. The debt has been paid. We can have the best rule. We can have the relationship that we want with the Father just by resting in the work of Jesus Christ. Not resting in our own work and our own efforts. The Father brings out the best of everything. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the Son of Mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What a celebration. You know, these people wouldn't eat meat for every day. It will be a special occasion when they eat meat, maybe once, twice a week. But for the fattened calf to be used, well, that meant that it was a, a, such a celebration. You know, a few years ago, I went out uh, with YMCA to Zimbabwe. And when you go out with another organisation and they organise your travel, always beware because they're always trying to save money. So in order for me to get to Zimbabwe, I had to fly from Edinburgh to Schiphol in Amsterdam then to Frankfurt in Germany, then to Munich in Germany, then I flew to uh, Nairobi in Kenya, 
Then I flew to Harare in Zambwe, Zimbabwe, so they could say 14 pounds. So that was, that was good. And I arrived after all that travelling, and we arrived in Harare, and if you've ever landed in Harare, it's a horrible place to land, because all the way down the runway is the carcasses of all of the burnt-out planes uh, that perhaps haven't made it off or haven't landed. Uh, so you're, you come into this country uh, with a real sense of hope, uh, and then you land, and then I was taken through Harare, and I was taken out to a little town in, the, uh, um, in a place called Kodoma uh, in Zimbabwe. And we were walking through, there was about 15 of us walking through this little guest house. And we walked in at the front, it looked beautiful. It was a lo lovely place. And then the first person, I was at the back of the line, and the first person got shown into their room, beautiful guest room. Uh, with everything that you could possibly imagine. It was a lovely place. And then the next person got theirs beautiful again. But as we started to get to the back of the guest house, the rooms were getting smaller and smaller and getting a bit more and more dank. So by the time that the person in front of me got their room, it was just me and the guest house owner. And I was taken to the back corridor where there was the fire exit. So the fire exit was opened. And there on the street was this two-man, two, two 30-year-old Fiat camper van. So I was told this was where I was going to be staying for the next, next three weeks on the streets in one of the most dangerous countries in Africa. So I was thrilled about that as well. After I settled into my camper van, I was told that we were going to have what's called a braai, a barbecue. And this was in a, this, this town in the, the, the middle of nowhere, really, in Zimbabwe. And we were there at about nine o'clock at night. After all of this travelling, hadn't stopped, you know, from my six-point trip of the world you know, on the plains to get there. And it was about 9 o'clock at night, we said, we're going to have a braai. And I said, I'd rather just go to sleep. But okay, I was, I was being a Christian, I thought, I'll go to this braai. So 9 o'clock comes, 10 o'clock comes, 11 o'clock comes, 12 midnight comes, and we're still sitting outside waiting for this barbecue. And at two, about half past one in the morning, that's when the men come with this uh, pickup truck filled with meat at the back. And suddenly this meat is thrown on these big barrels, and the smells start to rise and suddenly it doesn't seem that bad being up at half past one in the morning because the smells are starting to rise and you'll start to look around and people from all round about are starting to gravitate towards this braai even though it's half past one in the morning. The whole town is coming towards this smell, they're all coming towards this celebration that's happening and suddenly everyone is gathered towards because they want to celebrate. And it was a, one of the best senses of community that I've ever had after such a horrible 36 hours of travelling. And it was a really lovely time. And you know, whenever I read about the fattened calf coming, about this celebration happening, about the sun being dead and alive again and then beginning to celebrate, I always go back to Zimbabwe and I think about everyone coming together because that's exactly what would have happened. Everyone would have came and everyone would have been having such a wonderful time except for the older son who stands outside in a huff he's not coming in he is not happy at all he refuses to go in you know my sisters are they're both married now if I think about the, 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 the hard work that it took for my dad to organise those weddings and to pay for, for, for some of it uh, and all of the effort that went into it and I stand outside the wedding in a huff saying, I'm not coming in. Are you kidding? I don't want to celebrate. Well, how ignorant would that be? 
How ignorant would that be after all of that work has been gone? This is what the older son does. He stands outside and he says, I'm not going in. And the father has to go out and the father pleads with him. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving. He says to his father, the older son says to the father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I've done all of this work for you. Every morning I've been out and on the field. I've been working till the sun goes down. I've been working every single day. I've done all of this for you. You've never even given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son, he's squandered everything. He's such a sinner. He's turned his back on you. He's went his own way. He's squandered your property. He's given it all away. And you killed the fattened calf for him. The older son was convinced that work would save him. The older son was convinced that if he just kept working for his father, his father would love him. And the news that his father would love him, whether or not he tried to work his way into his good books, he couldn't deal with it. He could not cope with it. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, we, as part of our ministry, we share the gospel with literally tens of thousands of people a year through outreach events and church services and schools and various different things. There's been so many people that we've brought the gospel to and most of them are like the older son, not the younger son. And the problem is, you can't do anything with an older son. You can't do anything with anyone who doesn't recognise their need. Who doesn't recognise that they need to be saved by grace, not through works. Who don't recognise that they are at rock bottom. That they are separated from God. That there is no way that they are going to restore that perfect relationship with him. Except through a miraculous act of love by the Lord Jesus Christ that happened on the cross. That is the only way that we can be saved. The only way that we can have a relationship with the Father. My prayer for you this morning, this afternoon, is that you'll reach rock bottom if you've never been there before. There's no many people praying that prayer for people today. That's, that's the prayer that we should be praying. That people will hit rock bottom. That they will see that there's no way up except through the Lord Jesus Christ. That we are dead until we come to him. We don't know life. We don't know light. We are trapped in the darkness. We find the truth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who he is and what he has done for you. That is my prayer. That you'll come to that realisation. That you'll reach out to the Lord Jesus Christ. That you'll embrace him as your saviour. And that you will know that God will open his arms to you. Will run to you compassionately. and Throw his arms around you. Kiss you. And bring the best of everything. Because he's bringing life. And all its abundance. Prodigal son. What did the son give away? He gave a third of what was the father's. What did the father give away? He gave away everything. He gave away the third. And when he brought back the son again. He was bringing him back into the family again. And he's saying I'll, I'll give you the third again. Because I love you so much. We can't call him the prodigal son without acknowledging the prodigal father. 
he, what the father was recklessly extravagant God has been recklessly extravagant for you and for me he's given away more than I could imagine by giving away his son he truly is the prodigal God Ephesians chapter 5 let me just finish with this this is the, the message version of the Bible Ephesians chapter 5 reads mostly what God does is love you keep company with him and learn a life of love observe how Christ loved us his love was not cautious but extravagant he didn't love in order to get something from us but to give everything of himself to us love like that this morning I pray that we recognise God's extravagant love towards us and in turn we will go out and we will love extravagantly that we will not keep this message to ourselves but we will take it out to people who need hope to those who are at rock bottom who need hope in life and will find it through the extravagant love of Jesus Christ let's pray together Father we thank you for these words that we've been able to read from your uh, word this morning Father we thank you Lord for the truth that lies behind them and Father we thank you Lord that you still show this extravagant love towards us today Father we thank you Lord that the day of grace is still upon us Father, that we can still reach out and accept Christ as our Saviour. And Father, we just pray for anyone who is apart from you, who has never made this realisation, who has never seen that they are at rock bottom, who has never turned to Christ to save them, that they would do so today. Father, they would realise that until they do, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. Father, bring life today to the people here. Father, we pray for those who have realised this a long time ago, but perhaps have grown cold. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would make us prodigal, that we would be recklessly extravagant, that we would give our all in order to serve, worship and glorify you. Father, we thank you for um, all of this time that we spent in your words. Bless us, we pray in his name. Amen.